Hello everybody, JP back at you once again, bringing you guys another mini shot. This is volume 5, and for those of you who are a bit confused or uncertain what's going on with the podcast, well what mini shots is, is just a little show that we like to do every once in a while when we're not recording an actual episode. So, Monday the 22nd, this week, that's February, we did not record a podcast. We did not have one ready. We're actually taking a two-week break. So Monday the 29th, we will also not have a show, and we won't have a show until Monday the 7th of March. And the reason for that is because um, me, Moods, Brandon, Orlack, and Dave Z are preparing for our top 10 of 2002 podcast, which will be episode number 74. And that takes a lot of preparation because you really have to watch, you know, anywhere from 25 to 50 uh, horror films, all from the year 2002, to get a very good sample size and to not miss any uh, definite uh, gems. So we're going to be doing that. We're spending a lot of time watching movies. Currently, right now, it is Wednesday night, and right after I record this little intro, I'm going to pop in some 2002 movies and uh, get cracking on tonight and really hit the, the grind, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and finish out this uh, this week strong. And right now, if you guys can hear, it's actually raining. It's raining, so this is like a perfect night to watch horror movies. I don't have work tomorrow. I'm really excited to actually sit down. I'm going to shut my phone off. I'm just going to watch horror movies tonight. I'm really excited to do this. I haven't done it in a while like that. i got some food and all kind of fun stuff planned. So this is basically just a hodgepodge of randomness. There's going to be some cool stuff here, guys. Definitely keep listening. First up, I got a review of The Witch. It's uh, it's a movie that I went and seen last week, and I recorded a review for it the day after I watched it, so it was very fresh in my head. Uh, that that one runs probably a little over ten minutes, so enjoy that review. After that, I got a new segment that we're debuting here, and it's called Critique the Critics, and it's me and Moods, and we sat down with Brandon Orlack uh, from Exploding Heads podcast and from Our Voicemail Line, and we're gonna actually sit down and critique. Reviews done by Siskel and Ebert. This is really funny. We had a great time doing it, so enjoy that segment. After that, Moods is going to be coming up with a solo review of uh, Hangman. And after that, me and Kyle actually did a review of the Cabin Fever remake. And then we'll kind of round off the show with a little bit of bloopers from over the past couple months of recordings. And uh, those are always fun to listen to. So with that said, I really hope you guys enjoy this. Be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Be sure to rate our podcast on iTunes. And just make sure you guys support us. Join the Facebook group page which is where horror is at. Those are the best conversations on there. And as always, subscribe to us on YouTube and all that other fun stuff. Thanks for checking this out. I really have fun producing these shows and recording these shows. And next week, we should have another uh, either mini shots up or something entirely new and special. So so be sure to look out for that stuff because uh, whatever it is, if it's a mini shots or the new thing we're talking about, it's going to be fun. So with that said, I'm going to get out of here. We're going to take a little break. Break, and I'll be back with the review of The Witch. 
Hi, my name's 22 Shot Tom, and I'm the 22 Shots of Moods and Horrors number one fan. If you're like me and you can't get enough of these guys, head on over to Facebook.com. Type in the search bar 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. Let Facebook do the rest. You'll find their group. It's a cool time. There's lots of cool, interesting horror fans there with plenty of interesting opinions and conversations. I've been kicked out a few times, but I'll find my way back. You can also follow them on Twitter at 22 Shots Podcast. So be sure to stock them on. Oops, I mean follow them on Twitter. There's also the website www.22shotsofmoodsandhorror.com where you can find DVD and Blu-ray announcements, reviews, news, and plenty more. Want to send love notes? That's fine. 22 Shots of Moods and Horror at gmail.com. The phone sex line is 724-426-6665. What's up guys? JP here bringing you guys a solo review for the new 2016 horror film that is currently in theaters right now and I'm talking about The Witch. This film just premiered just a few days ago in a sort of wide release for theatrical. I just seen it last night, so I'm going to give you guys my complete review of the film. I will remain spoiler-free because I do believe that this film is super new and it should not be spoiled, so I will leave it very, very, very spoiler-free. I went with a group of co-workers and the whole theater experience was pretty cool. I hadn't been to the theater since 2013, which was when the Evil Dead remake hit. So I was really excited to go back and my co-workers were really cool about seeing this horror film. Some of them were pretty excited and you know, we went and hit up a store called Cash and Culture, which is a store that sells sort of retro games and used DVDs. I picked up a few things there. So the night started off great and then we went to the theater, got our tickets, uh, popcorn, all that stuff, which wow, man, you know, I always hear about how expensive popcorn and and cokes are at movie theaters but it's been a while since i actually got to see it up front and personal and it is insane but you know that's that's what happens when uh not enough people are seeing movies and theaters don't really make money off of the uh movie itself but more off of the concession items so that makes sense anyway we're gonna get into this review here so the witch from 2016 was directed by robert eggers and this guy hasn't really done much but i am very interested to see what he does in the future this film follows a family in new england at the year 1630 where it opens up in a town hall meeting where they kind of have a disagreement uh, with the people in the town so they decide to move away from the town and kind of start their own uh, life over out in the woods this family originally was from England and now they are in America they're in New England and they are out in the woods kind of fending for themselves of course the family is struggling very much because of the brutal nature of the 1600s they're trying to farm they're trying to trap animals they're trying to survive any way they can sort of on their own which leads to them all being a little stressed and on edge of course all of this comes a little later Uh, The first thing that happens is that the daughter is out in the woods with her little baby brother and she's playing peekaboo, she closes her eyes, and next thing you know, the baby is gone. 
and we see a woman running with the baby through the woods. So now we have a missing baby and the family is very distraught over this. I will kind of leave the story off there. There's a lot more to it and a lot more that happens, but I do not want to spoil it. So let's get into what I thought about the film. First and foremost, I gotta give props to the filmmaker for this being his first real big film. He did a fantastic job in his direction. The film looks great. The camera work in the woods really sets the tone and atmosphere. It feels natural. The film is shot extremely well. I gotta give props to that right away. Second, the score is really good. Definitely very effective in a theater with good sound. I thought that the acting was really effective and I personally really enjoyed the performance from the father and the daughter. I thought the daughter's performance was really, really good. There's certain things that I absolutely loved about the film's story. I feel like the film's opening 10 minutes are very, very strong, very, very disturbing, and very, very intense, freaky, scary, all the other words that you can use to describe it. However, I also think that the film peaks at that moment. I feel like it never really escalates to that greatness that it achieved in the first 10 minutes. It's just one of those films that peak way too early and never get back to that level. That is not saying that it's not a good or even a great film. I'm just saying that it never really achieves what it sets up in the first 10 minutes. Again, I feel that they did such a great job at capturing what that time was like, the period piece nature of the film, the 1600s. They almost do too good of a job, and I have heard one review of this film since I've seen it, and that is Jay of the Dead's review over on Horror Movie Podcast. And I will leave a link in the description of this podcast so you guys can check out his review. And one of his biggest critiques was that the dialogue was a little too old-timey. And I would very much agree with that. And I have heard critiques like that before. And I always think that they're slightly unfair because it's saying that the film's too realistic or too, too detailed. And I kind of struggle with that being a negative. But... At the end of the day, the film is there for us to enjoy. It is a movie at the end of the day. And when your target audience is Americans who will not understand some of the dialect that's in this film, I think it is a slight negative. I'm not going to say that it's a huge negative, but I didn't expect it to actually be as, as hard to hear as it was. There was certain scenes where I got the gist of it. I knew what they was talking about. But I missed strings of words that were thrown together that I had never heard or never put or never heard put in order in that way. It was actually quite funny because I was almost wanted to reach up for the remote and rewind the film. Of course, I'm in a theater and I can't do that. There's a lot of religious undertones to this film, and I think that's great. I think that this film is very strong because of those religious messages and and because of those religious tones and the time period in which religion was very very key they take the bible and the word of god very very literally and it's you know the bible what was written they take it extremely literally which is how everybody used to take it um and i think that that is key for this film to also be successful in what we see later in the film we do see the witch. I don't think we see her enough. 
I love the way that the witch looks, though. I love the way that the type of witch that they used, uh, that they decided to design and create. Uh, it is practical effects. It's a normal person. And I just love it. I just love that type. That's, that's how I envision a witch. And she was perfect. We just don't see enough of her. Another mild issue that I had with the film was I really didn't love how certain characters fates played out and it almost kind of felt a little anticlimactic at certain scenes but there are other scenes and other characters fates that i absolutely loved one of which i thought was very brutal and both sad and depressing the very end of the film i actually really really did enjoy i like how it played out this is a very serious and very realistic telling of how this stuff would be if it was in reality witches and satanic things i feel like this is the most real take that you can do on it and i give the film mad props for that it never gets too supernatural it never goes way out in left field and i'm glad that they were able to hold back and they didn't just hold back with that they held back on a lot of things this is a very slow burn film it's not a film that you probably want to take a group of co-workers to go see and i did get that vibe at the end that everybody sort of liked it but it wasn't the fun atmospheric party movie but it did have plenty of atmosphere this scary dark dreadful new england 1600s witch in the woods atmosphere that i i loved i loved that about it i thought that it had such a, a rich very dark vibe to it which i i like and i also just like the subject matter of the film tackling this subject matter in sort of the most realistic way that you can i think is key to this film's success as well i am not going to say that this is the best film of the year I think that that would be quite hasty. It is one that I think will be a big player at the end of the year show, uh, being the top 10 of 2016. Uh, Jeremy has said that, that he thinks this is this year's Babadook, this year's It Follows. I wouldn't go that far and say that. I did really, really enjoy the film. I just don't think it is as amazing as some of those some of the praise that you're hearing but we did hear some great things Stephen King said this film really scared him and you know it has gotten a lot of uh, interesting press the satanic temple has endorsed this movie and actually has had seven several screenings of this film saying that it is an impressive presentation of satanic insight and will inform contemporary discussion of re the religious experience I think that is both interesting and hilarious but yeah so at the end of the day i think this film is a scary horror movie it scared me twice you know freaked me out when i say scare i don't mean like hiding under the covers about to pass out or anything i'm just saying like it, it frightened me it frightened me it just you know made me get made my heart beat a little bit and and got me uh worked up i i i, I think that people often kind of misconstrue uh, what being scared means that an, as an adult um, it doesn't mean that I'm shaking in my boots it just means that it it thrilled me in sort of a frightening way it just means that it got my heart pumping and I got a little nervous in my mind 
never mind because no matter how i say it i'm still gonna sound like a wuss and you guys are still gonna be like scared what scared i'm an adult i don't get scared what the hell is this guy talking about either way this film is a depressing moody atmospheric film with sort of a downer ending overall the film is just very depressing but i like that about it i'm a fan of those moody atmospheric depressing films and this is one of those i think the witch is a film that deserves the ticket admission price you should go out and see it in a theater if it is near you i do recommend that i will not say that it is the best film of the year or even a amazing movie it is a very good movie and this film is a 7.5 out of 10 potentially the biggest compliment that i can give the witch is that it is a bona fide horror film i hope you guys enjoyed my review of the witch sorry about the audio quality there was something going on with my mic on that one and uh, we're gonna take another quick break i'll see you guys on the other side with critique the critics Did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? 
Yeah, as much as I love Friday the 13th, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror, and we'll go through the alphabet talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's gonna be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites or introduce you to something new. Okay, so at this point in this episode of Mini Shots, I have with me Moods, the homie 616, and Brandon Orlack. Is it Orlack? <laughs> the second string Jew from the Exploding Heads <laughs> podcast. And what we're going to do in a little segment I like to call Critique the Critics is we're going to take some reviews that exist on the internet and then we're going to play them, their audio this time, maybe in the future. It'll be written reviews. And then we're going to comment on them. So as you all know, everybody should know this by now, at the movies, Siskel and Ebert. This was a famous movie review TV show from, I believe it started in the 80s, ran all the way through the 80s, went even into the 2000s. And they had many different hosts. Of course, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, uh, they were writers for the Chicago Sun, I believe. And, you know, they're both dead now. They're very respected critics, but... I think what they're most famous for in the horror community is just absolutely shitting on horror films, right, guys? Oh, yeah, big time. Yep. Yeah, so these guys were very <laughs> well known for not liking horror films. And they're, you know, very inconsistent as well because they, you know, Roger Ebert, I believe, uh, historically gave uh, I Spit on Your Grave like a really good review and then like would crap on something like, uh, what? I don't even know, Hellraiser. And, you know, it just – it didn't really make sense, their review style. Uh, They were often uh, contradict things that they said. And these – I got three clips here, guys. Uh, We have – the first one is Scream. I'll let you guys know. I picked these at random, so they they might actually not even be good. They might, like, give (laughs) Scream a, like, super good review, and then we're like, yeah. I'm excited because I have no idea what these are. I'm looking forward to destroying these two deceased critics. So, so do you guys have anything to say about these guys before we go into it, Brandon? If you have a Gene Siskel review from the 2000s, that's going to freak me out considering he died in 99. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, let's do it. And yeah, that was one of the reasons why, you know, there was some, you know, changes on the show because they kept dying. <laughs> yeah, I think they died a few times. <laughs> yeah, well, Siskel... Like Roger Ebert, Ebert looked like he was dead for years while he was. That happened died. after he made Beyond the Valley of the Dolls or Return to Valley of the Dolls. So, what do you think that uh, oftentimes critics are referred to as failed filmmakers? You think there's any truth to that? Well, I mean, in Roger's case, yeah. <laughs> We're just blasting I mean, dead people. It, right it's now. pretty much the epitome of the truth, right there. I mean, a lot of critics have come out and said, you know. The reason why you know he did he did what he did was because of his miserable failed, you know, film career. Film career, essentially, yeah. And you know, I always find it so ironic the film that you know he wrote, you know, and and then how he blasted horror films and exploitation films and stuff like that. It just always blew my mind, man. Just always blew my mind what he became. Kind of a hypocrite, right? 
Yeah, I, I, it's really weird. I mean, I've seen articles, literal articles online, like tearing them apart. I mean, Joe Bob Briggs on the I Spit on Your Grave commentary blasts them. That's a great commentary for anybody who uh, wants to hear uh, Joe Bob go off on Siskel and Ebert. It's, it's fantastic. You guys hear that ever? I have not heard about that. I've heard of it, though. And I should check that out sometime, though, because dude's hilarious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard it either. All right, so with that said, let's hop into this first one here. This is uh, 1996, I believe, uh, the uh, Wes Craven film Scream. Here's go to a lot of horror movies, except for the teenagers who are in horror movies. They've never seen a single one. That's why they always make the same stupid mistakes that always get teenagers killed in horror movies. <laughs> Wes Craven is a director who has made a lot of slasher films. His credits include Last House on the Left, the Hills Have Eyes and A Nightmare on Elms. And now he's made Scream, a picture about a slasher terrorizing a group of teenagers who are horror movie fans and already know what to do and what not to do. One of the guys works in a video store and he brings along some tapes to a party using them as a sort of training session as the slasher stalks the night outside. Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back, because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh. Oh. The mayhem is covered by a gung-ho local TV reporter played by Courtney Cox, who wonders if there's a link Cox. between the current killings and the murder of the heroine's mother, which was, well, what do you know, just exactly a year ago today. They have such a, like, serious, just, like, snarky way of saying everything. Like, <laughs> what do you know, one year ago today. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'd say the odds are good. Scream is one of those movies where a lot depends on the attitude you take to it. On the one hand, it is a violent and frightening film. The R rating is well-deserved. On the other hand, it's a satire on violent and frightening films, and audiences who have seen a lot of horror movies are probably going to enjoy it more on that level. I have seen lots of horror films, and I did enjoy it because, for once, the teenagers weren't making the same old stupid mistakes. Nope. They were making new stupid mistakes. Yeah, well, I've seen a lot of horror films too. Probably the same exact number as you. And Could I didn't be. get into the I didn't get into the picture. I don't think it's really as much of a clever satire as you're suggesting because <laughs> it starts out as a, as a slasher film and then adds this other material, this knowing material. But you still have to sit there, even if you're hip to the satire, Roger, and watch girls being stalked, ripped apart, and it isn't fun. So the attitude that I brought, which what is always mean? central to a picture was depressed at the 25-minute mark in this film. <laughs> and I, you know, smiled knowingly at what the film was saying, but I didn't learn anything. I don't, know, gee, I don't think it starts out as a slasher film. I starts, it starts out already learn as a satire. Anything? For example, the use of the big glass patio doors in the background for the telephone call. Yeah. Well, while, but, you're no, while you're noticing the glass patio doors being shattered, I'm noticing no, I'm a noticing body. I'm noticing the fact that they're there. Oh, and I'm noticing a body getting shattered. And I'm not going on the high horse against you. I'm just oh, saying, no, no, no. I'm saying that that's what I, oh, it's, it's and it, I found it offensive. Okay, would you have enjoyed it. this more if the characters had not been savvy? Uh, no. no, no, it would have been a worse picture, but I'm not recommending it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so. Wow. Um, the first thing I want to say is, nor sometimes, it's so weird with these guys, because sometimes, like, what the fuck? Roger says things that kind of surprised me, because normally, I can never predict that guy. It's, that's He's so inconsistent, but. This was literally the last line that he said. You know, it sounded like he was kind of going to, you know, recommend the film. And he's like, well, I'm not going to recommend this film. Yeah. The fuck? What the <laughs> fuck? Like, he just, out of the blue, just drops that bomb on the audience. It's like, oh, well, I totally thought that you were leaning a different way. Yeah. <laughs> this is what everybody, this is why everybody criticizes 
uh, you know, uh, Siskel and Ebert because they say shit like that, like instantaneously, man. Fucking crazy. Absolutely. Ugh. But it, I find that Siskel is just so appalled by the fact that like people die in horror movies he's just like i seen a body getting like did you ever watch don't you think scream is like kind of tame for uh, a slasher in terms of violence um incredibly tame i think so yeah i mean it it really is i mean you hit it on the head it's completely satirical he got it, it Exactly. That's it, from exactly. the opening scene. It's not a. It doesn't start off as a slasher. It starts off as a satire right away with the phone yeah call. with the phone call. I think, yeah, I think visually it's not that. It's not that graphic, really. I think the ideas are there. Mm-hmm. You know of, you know especially the opening scene with Drew Barrymore and stuff. Just the kind of the brutality of that scene, right? But it's not really. It's not really depicted fully on screen, right? So. Use your imagination a little it's bit. Impo- on, right? And that's the and that's the thing. That's what I love about it. We get to see it on screen and use our imagination so we don't go out and do it in the real world. Yeah, and I, I think these guys that. never understood that. They never once got the idea that that like the that horror films are trying to convey. Like it's it's you're so you have to have the murder. Like you have to have violence. Yeah, I mean people, it's it, the build up. What, what are you gonna do? How else am I gonna is? get off? <laughs> that's what the horror is man you know people die in these films it's inevitable yeah and and that's for why Cisco, people are there for cisco to say that he does not think that it's that satirical that like it's not that smart in its it, satire it is one of the smartest goddamn horror horror satires makes, ever it makes me think that he shut off his brain while he was watching it because I don't know how you could sit there and not say that it wasn't satirical and, and well-written. Because it is. It's really clever. It honestly is. Even if you don't even care for the film, you have to give credit where credit is due and at least give it the credit that it is well-written. I mean there's so many notes. Like there's so many hidden things that I still recognize. Like I mean even down to the character name of Billy Loomis and all the references yeah. from, from like the movie – uh, all the movies, like there's so many, and I honestly think that one of the most genius fucking things is the scene where uh, Jamie Kennedy is watching Halloween and he's telling Jamie Lee Curtis, calling her by her not character name but her real name, Jamie behind you, and it's like that kind of blows my mind because his name's yeah. Jamie too, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? In, in real life, it's it's so weird. Yeah. And like that, that is that just shows its cleverness right there. Yeah, and you can take that scene and show it to anybody, and like that is that is like serious writing right there. You know, I think people kind of overlook the cleverness of Scream because you know, or you're like, oh well, that was so obvious. You know, you know, just stating to the viewer all the tropes of a slasher film and things like that. But you know, to actually sit down and show people that and do it clever is a different thing. Right, you're like, oh, I could have wrote that and stuff. You know what? You probably couldn't, motherfucker. It's a lot harder than you think it is. Kevin Williamson couldn't even write it again because he never really did as well in any of his sequels that he wrote. That's the thing. Like, I think people just kind of overlook the cleverness because it's maybe so. It's too obvious to them. It's ridiculous, yeah. man. You know, and that's it didn't what I sacrifice that... the scariness of the story at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. It was still effective. I was about to give Roger Ebert a little bit of props until he's like, I'm not going to recommend it either. <laughs> I was like, what? Just the tone of Siskel too, though. He's just like, you can just hear it in his he's tone. He's just like, so his... disgusted. He's I, like, I just... I've probably seen as many horror movies as you. Oh, yeah, because, you know, <laughs> fuck. Why break. keep watching horror films if you're just going to bash each and every single one? Well, I think it's their job. But, but then again, it was their job. I, You know, I always wanted to know if they had total control over the films that they reviewed on the show. 
or it was just kind of a set thing. Okay, these are the films you're going to be doing this week, you know, because they they obviously view viewed a shitload more films than the ones that just reviewed on the show, right? Yeah. So well, it's just I, what it was like. Okay, you have to do Scream this week, or you have to do this film. Or I always wondered that because, you know, some shows you'd watch and they, they thumbs down every movie. Yeah, sometimes they usually watch like four movies, and if you think about it, every week, I mean it. In the 80s, there was so many movies coming out, but like in that era, the 90s, like were there really that many movies coming out each week? So maybe they were seeing like everything. It is tough being a critic. I did study film critique and I did uh, study at NYU for that. And you do become a little bit cynical towards your reviews sometimes because you're watching a lot of movies, sometimes three, four movies a a day. That's understandable. But at the same time, these guys like – Ebert just now just was giving a good solid review was about to recommend it and then became from an objective reviewer became a subjective reviewer and just said no I don't like horror movies so I'm not recommending it yeah and cynical is actually a good word for them (laughs) Uh, well one of the things you know that he says is you know Instead of watching a horror movie where, you know, people are making – dumb kids are making dumb mistakes or whatever. Now we get to see him make a whole bunch of new dumb mistakes. Like even like in that, he's kind of being a dick. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? If they make all the right choices, there's no movie. Yeah. I mean come on. Come on. <laughs> you know, it kind of pisses me off when you hear a review like that. Like you can hear Siskel just, you know, his disgust in the review and just – and it just instantly you can see how it influenced Ebert. Yeah, in, a, in an instant totally. like that's just so nasty because yeah well he know, even brings it up like you know the i'm not trying to high horse you or whatever but you know that's yeah. what robert R- roger ebert was thinking at the time because he he doesn't want to stoop he doesn't want to be like oh, well i didn't i'm not the one that's like in horror films <laughs> what the hell <laughs> <laughs> i just be like every time you're having one of those arguments it'd be like well you wrote beyond the valley of the dolls man yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh let's go into the next one does anybody want to take a guess what it is Silent Night, um, Deadly Night. Nope, it's Scream 2. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I was going to take a guess. Uh, sorry about that. I was actually going to say Scream 3. Oh. No. You would have been no. slightly off. No. But close. Wasn't. All right, let, let's play this one. Last year's movie, Scream, was a horror film with a difference. All of the characters had seen other horror films and knew enough to avoid all the dumb things that people do in horror films. I think he just comes to Scream 2, in which all of the characters have seen a movie based on the killings in the first movie. It sounds complicated, but as part of the fun, the cast for once knows as much as the audience. The film stars Nev Campbell as one of the survivors, and now she's in college and getting creepy phone calls from another mad slasher. Cox plays the TV newswoman from the first movie. She wrote a book about those killings and now is back to cover more slashings with a reluctant cameraman played by Dwayne Martin. I read what happened to your last cameraman. The guy got gutted. Now me, I'm going to do what any rational human being would do, which is get out of here. First of all, he wasn't gutted. I made that up. His throat was slashed. Get though. Gutted, slashed. The guy ain't in the union no more. This is national television. Think about it. 
This is a big chance for you. The story is monumental. Don't you want to be a part of that? I want to report the news. I don't want to be the news. Besides, brothers don't last long in situations like this. Leave Schreiber is also back as the suspect that Campbell put in jail before his innocence was proven. Now he's suspected again. Don't you watch TV, current edition? That was a very insightful program on which it was made abundantly clear that I'm an innocent man. So until you find me standing over a dead body with a knife in my hand, I think you better treat me with the rights and privileges accorded to every innocent citizen in this country. There's a good deal of violence in Scream 2. It's bloodier than the original film, but the screenplay by Kevin Williamson is just as clever at devising dialogue that plays against it. This is not only a horror movie that knows it's a horror movie, but it's a sequel that contains a discussion of sequels. Is this as good as the original? Well, not quite, but it's close enough. I'm giving it a thumbs up. I'm giving it a thumbs up, too, what and I fuck? like it more than the original picture. Uh, maybe the challenge of coming what? up with a sequel to that one uh, is, is daunting, and this film pulls it off. I just thought that the writing was the writing was smarter, and the, the number of characters that are yeah. being juggled in this screenplay. I mean, normally, you have, you know... A, a row of ducks that get knocked off in these pictures. And here, I got to know some of the ducks. I you mean, know, and, and uh, Kevin Williamson's screenplay does have a lot of really neat in lines in sure it. For example, at one point, the Courtney Cox character is accused of posing nude on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And her defense, that was my head. It was Jennifer Aniston's body. Right. That's, that's a funny line. Better than Minute Lice, Roger. I like that one. It, that Doesn't it wow. sound like that should have been the review for the first film? <laughs> yeah. That surprised me, man. Because they say that it's like, you know, it's way more smart, you know? What? They, they, ju they no just way. said everything. They just said everything that they should have said. In the first the film. First film. For the first film. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, that's so bizarre. And it, it is, is this one was bloodier, yet maybe Cisco it's, still Maybe it's it. because, yeah, maybe it's because they, you know, after seeing the second one, they realized how good the first one was. And this is their way of kind of making up for mm, their mistakes. Which is completely like a biased way of of, of critiquing. <laughs> but doesn't it, but doesn't it seem like that just happened though? Yeah, like Cisco was a like little it. more. It's like they probably got a bunch of backlash for hating the first one. Yeah, he, he was a little more up tempo, and he was so he was so you know quick and eager to agree with uh, with Ebert, and yeah, that was that was interesting. They're literally the same film except for the first one's better. So that review made no sense to me. It makes yeah. no sense to me how you can like screen, especially when he said, you know, they're juggling all these characters and I got to know some of these ducks before they got knocked off. No, I don't that even remember any characters no. besides the main ones. That completely doesn't make sense at all. The characters are way more developed and, and even more memorable in the in first, the first film one. Than they are, yeah, than they are in the second film. Yeah, that, that, that's a very odd, you know, in such a short review, that's such an odd thing to point out. You know what? Speaking of pointing out things, I always find it weird what they point out when they do their little preview. Like the cameraman doesn't really have – like unless my memory is like doing me wrong. But I, I don't remember the cameraman being that big of a character and even Cotton uh, – whatever his name is, Cotton Weary or whatever. Yeah. Like I don't remember him being like that important in this one like you you know. The, like they pointed out those two like plot lines as like when they're describing the movie. It's kind of weird. Yeah, that is that is weird. I don't but, remember part two that well, actually. Yeah, I, you know, part two is a little rusty in my memory, but I know for goddamn sure it's nowhere near as good as the first one. No, at all. Yeah, I remember you know walking out of the theater and and saying you know it was very similar to the first film, but just not as good. And I like I distinctly remember saying that, you know, 
talking about it right now, yeah, I'd, I'd have to watch that movie again. I, I don't remember it too well either. They sound honest, like they're but... trying to save face for bashing the first one. Yeah, and man. It, and it being such a huge success. So they're like, you know what? We're not going to piss off the fans anymore. We're just going to give this one a positive review. That's, you know, that's exactly what they're doing. It's yeah. a good point. It's a good point because, you know, they reviewed the film before the success of Scream. Yeah. Yeah, because right? these reviews usually came out before, I think they were like press screenings, right? Oh. Big yeah, time. definitely. Big time. So then Scream blew up and obviously, you know, it was big enough to make a sequel right away. They were making up for faults for sure. Yeah. That I was that, that was like a pity review. Like, oh, yeah, I'm surprised they didn't even throw some. Well, you know, the original isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's that's the one thing I always find interesting about their reviews is like they'll bash a film or at least Roger Ebert will a film like Full Metal Jacket. And then, like, it'll go on to be, like, this amazing movie that everybody respects and loves. But he he had to review it before that happened. So, like, he looks like an idiot afterwards. Yeah. Well, he went back and he said uh, that the characters were smart enough not to make stupid decisions in the first one. Yet, in the first review, he said they were smart enough not to make stupid decisions. They old decisions they made stupid new decisions yeah and so i didn't get that either that's that's, that's when you I said he of... contradicted himself yeah, yeah. That's, that's, did. Did. that's a good point man I, I was trying to word that in my mind too and i don't I, even know what i just said i don't know if it worded no, I, correctly, I think it worked but i think you got you it. worded it perfectly enough that i understood that completely okay. and that's exactly what i was thinking too i was like there's something about yeah yeah that, that's a good point yeah totally contradiction at its best Okay, so so far after two reviews, I think we have pointed out that you know the the rumor, the myth is true about these guys that they do contradict themselves and they do they are inconsistent with their horror reviews. Uh, they you know obviously they they've praised many good films like Your Godfathers and things like that, but uh, it, it, I always find their reviews on horror movies particularly interesting because. I think they're just completely inconsistent. Well, and uh, I also think that their their horror film reviews are a little biased too because they're not fans of horror films. Yeah. Right? I don't think they're I don't think It's not reviewing... even that they're not fans of horror films. They genuinely don't like them. Yeah, and 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 that definitely plays into the review. Yeah, and they almost like They're being a little biased. They almost insult biasism. The very fact that there's, they're watching a horror film. They're, yeah, they're I like, think they, they look down on the viewers who do watch horror. It's almost yeah. as if it's almost it's, as if you're watching horror films. You're watching it to be titillated, when in fact that's completely far from why you're watching a movie. You know, we're not watching this to you know get off on. We're watching this, you know, because we want to be scared. We want to, you know, experience fear and comedy in some cases, and all these different feelings, but. Yeah, the films that they just look at us like perverts. Yeah, the film. Yeah, the films that they love and uh, respect and give good reviews to are like those. They're like those suburb films, you know. And the people that love the horror films are considered like those inner city films. Yeah, (laughs) and meanwhile, he makes his one film is an X-rated bad exploitation. That's why. That's why I always I could never take Mm -hmm. Roger Ebert serious based on that alone, and it just it's so strange to me. Yeah, you know, it's just so strange. You know, I mean, if he didn't have that background. This would be the conversation would be a little different, but like, it's just it's hard to overlook, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yes, it's very strange. Earlier in the beginning of the recording, I, I think I mentioned that Roger Ebert uh, historically gave a bad review to or a positive review to "I Spit on Your Grave." I think it was the other way around. He gave a positive review to "Last House on the Left," but a negative review to "I Spit." Yeah, on they your grave. they both hated. Um... 
I spit on your grave. Which makes no sense to me because... They both said it was the worst movie of... <laughs> ever? What year did that come out? 1980? 70, 70, 78, 77. Yeah. Not sure, 79. But anyway, I think it's silly because we, me and Moods have reviewed Last House on the Left and that film is completely flawed. And yeah. I Spit on Your Grave yeah. is a, the same film, yet better. You know yeah, I mean? it, it just means they just like their rape a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> they like their rape with a com- comedy comedic uh, turn afterwards. Yeah, like like David Hess provided in Last House. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got one more uh, review here, and I think this is going to be the best one because I do remember hearing this one before, and it made me angry. So uh, let, let's play this one. Next is the movie Psycho 2. It's 22 years later, and Anthony Perkins is back Uh-oh. at the Beach Motel again as the most famous mad flasher in movie history. Okay, now this next movie we have is one that no true movie buff or lover believes could ever really be made. The name of the movie is Psycho 2, and this movie has the presumption to believe that Sir Alfred Hitchcock didn't finish his story with the original Psycho back in 1960. Well, I walked into this movie with a certain amount of resistance just to the idea of any movie called Psycho 2 because I admire the original Psycho so much. But the opening half hour of the movie is sort of creepy Mm -hmm. because it reminds us so convincingly of Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins, and of the violent events at the Bates Motel. Look at this scene from early in the film. Anthony Perkins hardly seems to have changed at all since 1960. That scene is a direct reference back to the original Psycho. Later in this movie, Bates offers shelter to a young girl who triggers his old phobias. This is yours. No, go ahead. You you have it all. Make myself another. Do you have a knife? No, I'm afraid. I don't. I, I just moved back here after being many years away. I forgot to bring any cutlery. <laughs> That's odd. People usually leave something, even if it is only an old butter knife. question you have to ask yourself will an audience that isn't familiar with the original psycho get the same kind of charge out of that knife scene that we do yes i think that i like the sound effect of the knife scraping on the plate that was nice a little more of you know what norman bates has been up to a little little earlier in his life a little more there's one thing norman bates should have learned during his two decades of psychiatric treatment is that he never ever ever should have gone back inside that house again but he does and then another series of murders breaks out, and Norman thinks he's going crazy, which is a little ironic. <laughs> Psycho 2 isn't a bad movie, but it's not really a worthy sequel to Psycho either. I suggest that the best way to enjoy this movie would be to try to put the original Psycho just totally out of your mind. 
But the problem is the very first opening scene of Psycho makes that impossible because what they do is repeat Hitchcock's shower scene, and by letting Sir Alfred have the first word, they let him have the last word, too. Yeah, this is a tricky film. I think audiences would generally enjoy it, but I'm going to make my comments on grading, if you will, reviewing this specific movie. And it does nothing extra to, than the original film did. What I like about sequels that are good, like Godfather 2 or Rocky 2 or even Superman 2, is that they take the characters into new places. This is basically a retread with sort of a wink at the audience, and it's played as much for laughs as it is for oh, horror. I, I don't think, I just don't think it was anything special. We don't need this movie. I think, well, first of all, that's right. And then secondly, do you think it would have been more interesting to have Norman Bates go out into real society, move to San Francisco or Denver or something, Yeah, try to get involved in, in things? I think the ghost oh, yeah, of the that's original fucking obviously exciting. hangs over this production, uh -huh. and it's too bad, because it's a nicely made picture. Nicely made, but you're quite right, it's unnecessary. We copy. Okay, now to recap our reactions to the four films on this show. Roger and I split on Steve Martin's The Man with Two Brains, Roger finding Martin's humor <laughs> sort of self-involved. I disagree. I thought he was terrifically silly. We agreed that Superman 3 is the weakest of the three Superman movies. Neither one of us can recommend you see it. We both thought that Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd were very funny in trading places. I think it's the funniest film of the year so far. And finally, awesome. two downturn thumbs for Psycho 2, a well-made but weak carbon copy of the great Alfred Hitchcock thriller. Oh, man. First of all, I want to say, he said Christ. one of the things he likes about sequels, great sequels like uh, Godfather 2 and Rocky 2, is you get to see the characters in new Situ new situations or something and i was like it's the fucking rocky 2 is the same thing what what difference happens in rocky 2 nothing man he wins. It's just, <laughs> that's the only difference that's it. it's the same it's literally just an extension of the first movie like yeah. what a sequel is supposed to be exactly like, one thing that really bugged me is he said why couldn't we see norman bates in san francisco or something dude you know damn well they would have been like if they would have did that Ebert would be like, "Oh, it's gimmicky, and it, it hasn't. It does not feel anything like the original Psycho. The and classic it doesn't make any, Psycho, and it doesn't make any fucking sense. He just spent twenty two years locked up in a fucking nut house. He it's all have he the, knows. All he, he knows have, is his home. What exactly. the fuck else does he know? Because he doesn't have the fucking money to move to San Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco. First of all, so right there, if that was the storyline, that would make no sense. Where did he get all this money to move to the? Big city of And Frisco. more importantly, why? Why the hell would he go to San Francisco? Doesn't make sense. Did you sense. notice, did you notice the first city, thing I... that Ebert said, though? Is that he went into the movie biased, just based on the title alone, yep. before he even sat yep. down to watch yep. it. He I, had a I chip thought, on his shoulder about it. I thought that was a very interesting... Very telling. Start off, yeah, very interesting way to start off a review, saying he was biased. So he's being honest... And this is no way of approaching. Like, I've, I mean, I think we've all learned our lessons, right? You know, watching sequels and, you know, you kind of have these, these pre notions, these pre biased opinions and stuff that, you know, should be making a sequel, blah, blah, blah. He actually fully admitted that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's, we know that is not the way to go into a sequel. And I'm sure back in 1982 when this movie came out, I bet you if you took a poll, I bet you bet you 90%, 95% of the people were not looking forward to the sequel. And I would have been one of them because exactly. I would be like, how can you touch Alfred Hitchcock's classic, That's one thing. of the best films ever made? But guess what, dude? Norman Bates' performance, I can't believe they criticized the fact that it feels right like Psycho when it starts. They're like, the best way to watch this is to put it out of your head that it's a sequel. But you can't do that because it, the opening scene makes it feel like Psycho. And I'm like, is that what, what the fuck does that even mean? 
<laughs> Are you serious? The opening yeah. scene makes it, makes it feel like Psycho. So you're saying that it shouldn't feel like Psycho. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's the number one thing you want to capture making a sequel 20 fucking years it, later. It, it, it was just the feeling. That line was just a prelude to say that, you know, Hitchcock getting, you know, the first laugh gets the last laugh. You know, that was that was just all all a clever setup just to use that line right there. In my yeah. opinion, but but you know, I, I don't know, man. He did make one reference to Anthony Perkins looking the same 22 years later. He fucking does. Dude, it's, it's like kind of ageless. It's like he just stepped right back into the old shoes of Norman Bates. Like, and honestly, one of the things that I love about Psycho 2, and I do love it, it's one of my mm. favorite sequels ever, Me is too, man. that love Anthony it. Perkins not only feels like the same Norman Bates, no, he doesn't. He feels like a Norman Bates who's been through 20 years of, uh, you know, being incarcerated in some sort of mental health, health facility. Yeah, he, he carries that weight with him. Re- yeah. being rehabilitated and that's another key word there it does feel like he's been rehabilitated and i think that that's why it works making so the well. film the way that they, they wrote the script to, to kind of make norman sort of not know what the hell's going on is he going crazy he doesn't know i, I, th- I thought it was brilliant like it it hmm. seriously is such a good movie and these people like wanted to hate it before they even saw it and then it's- when they saw some things that they liked they didn't want to really admit it two thumbs down come on yeah, it, it's really the perfect uh, – it's the perfect script and idea for that movie because after 22 years of being re- rehabilitated, I mean honestly, you've been in the nuthouse for so long. You're probably comfortable. You get out. Yeah, you might start questioning your sanity a little bit. You know, when things yeah, are – Yeah, you're institutionalized at that point. Exactly because you're comfortable and now you're in a different place again. You know, I mean you're in an old but, you know, new place and – yeah, you might start questioning memories, things. You know? Exactly. And you might you might start to question certain things in your uh what's going on around you. I think it's a perfect setup. I mean, the one biggest critique that you could probably give this film is the fact that Norman Bates was let out after twenty years, uh twenty two years, you know, killing that many people. I mean, it, it is I I mean, I'm sure people have been released on on you know, murders after that, but I mean that would yeah. have been a more fair critique to say that it's a plot hole or something, but I, no. th- I, I, love- I think it's actually – I think it's viable, man. I think this that really does happen You know, because yeah. he was he, – I mean he's sent to the nuthouse for a purpose to be rehabilitated you know, and because they they actually deemed him crazy. You know, it's yeah. different. Like if you went to jail and you're out in 22 years after killing that many people, then that wouldn't make any sense because it's probably illogical to think that someone could actually ever get out of jail you know, for killing that many people after 22 years. I mean that's not even 25. And, you know, I do like that they pointed out the tension of that scene with the knife, right? I mean, that perform the performance that Anthony Perkins gives in Psycho 2, where he's so uh, good, man. The way he even enunciates words, where uh, I forget what the exact words were, cutlery or whatever, you know, I I can't even repeat it, but like he, he like emphasizes like these violent words, like, and he even did it when he said something about like scared or something like that. Uh, It's such a masterful performance you know both in the original psycho and all the rest of them by anthony perkins i, I mean that is literally one of my favorite characters of all time i can't yeah, believe i could put- sense part of their negative review is because of how well anthony perkins plays norman bates i mean he really was a terrific actor oh fuck yeah he and, really and, was man and he he might be better than the sequels themselves but that's no reason to bash them yeah 
I can I can see a little more argument for Psycho three and Psycho four. I could argument Psycho three. I could argue you know about that film all day long because I really really like that film. I, I like the fact that he took over the directorial. Uh, you know, duties for that film, but if you, there's a lot of really interesting transitions and a lot of like metaphorical things and things that are going on in that film that he put in there that I didn't even really notice until I watched the documentary, The Psycho Legacy. And then they're pointing out things and I'm like, fuck me, man. Anthony Perkins is, uh, you know, quite talented. Yeah, in more him. ways was, than one. <laughs> I never knew, like, and I, and so after I watched Psycho Legacy, I popped in part three and I've started to notice what they had pointed out and, you know, some other things. I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, this movie's so much better than people give it credit for. You yeah, know, it's, that's how good it was. So I, I love all the psychos and I, you know, just those guys. I think that pretty much we can do this all day and point out every flaw in their review because they are biased as hell when it comes to horror. Like they wanted to hate this movie and you can, you can tell, yeah, you, you can, can just hear feel it. Yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it, it annoys me. The, it always has annoyed me. It's one of those reviews where it's, it's one of those, how dare you reviews? Yeah. You know, how dare you make a sequel to a classic film done by Sir Hitchcock? You know, it's like, come on, man. Which you wouldn't have... even surprise me if they didn't even like when it came out. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's too bad that it wasn't around or the show wasn't around yeah. when Psycho came out. I would love to hear their opinions on that and been like, you know, all of a sudden 20 years later, it's like, well, fuck, man. Like, we gave that shit two thumbs down. <laughs> How the fuck are you going to kill the main character off halfway through the film? That makes no sense. Yeah. That is not structured cinema. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a callback to Scream. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't hear them mention that. They probably went right over their head that that was a, a nice nod to Sir Alfred Hitchcock in Scream. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think Siskel was probably sleeping through those. It sounded like he was sleeping through the first or through the films anyway. So it's like, <laughs> well, whatever. Not going to uh, catch these him. guys, these guys, you know, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, they are beloved reviewers. I mean, they 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 pretty much. They have done so much good stuff in terms of just yeah. letting people know about movies, having people think about movies differently. I've have heard them point out very good things about filmmaking, you know, even growing up when I seen some of these uh, at the movies and stuff. But, uh, you know, they're biased as hell when it comes to horror. It's, it's just a fact. Big time. Big time. Yeah. And, you know, like I know we've on, on the podcast, we've we've talked a lot of ill shit about Roger Ebert and, you know, not so much Siskel, but it's Ebert seems to be more the, you know, the the limelight guy. And and, uh, I you know, I took it upon myself to learn more about him. And I watched a documentary life itself. And, man, you know, he's a pretty he was a pretty interesting guy, man. He did a lot. And I do respect, for you know, what he did for not only the city of Chicago, but for film critics in general. You know, yeah. kind of making it, uh, you know, kind of a staple, you know, position in, in reality, you know, like there wasn't really, like, he was kind of like the first big one, you know, he kind of set the stage for everyone else. And, uh, you know, he obviously had a very sad end, but, you know, I, I learned a lot about him and, you know, it's just too bad that he was that biased towards, you know, horror films and exploitation and, and things like snobbish. that. Anything to do with any type of, like, you just don't want to give it, you know, that correct review. You Not know, even the time there, there, day, man. there's a time and a place for it. And, you know, you, you have to kind of separate yourself as a critic. And, you know, sometimes it is hard. Like, we, I, I'm sure all three of us have those times where, yeah, you know, I've, just, I've been biased before. I've, I've had shit be overhyped, you know, and I always try nature. to improve it. It's human nature. I mean, you know, I give five out of 10 to dark hall one time. I don't know what the fuck I'm thinking with, you know, Brandon's given zero out of 10. <laughs> yeah, know, no, it, like, it happens, but it's funny to listen to these three reviews and they're not really 
bashing the movie so much. Sometimes so much they're, they're just even praising them, and then they're like, yeah, yeah we didn't like them. They're almost <laughs> halfway decent reviews of the films, but the fact that they don't like the genre, they can't recommend them. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird, man. Although they, I... did, they did tell us what the um, anti-aging secret was for Anthony Perkins. It is uh, an AIDS cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... One a night. Or one a week. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we don't hate Siskel and Ebert. No. I, I no, actually enjoy watching not. their reviews. And I don't and, hate people I, with AIDS. I love AIDS. I just find, you know, the biggest issue I have with them reviewing horror films is that is exactly what was just stated by both of you guys. You know, you can – you can they're, they're pointing out a lot of good things and then ultimately it comes down to the end and they're like thumbs down. Yep. It's like, you know, just be real. And, I mean, if you really don't like the film and you don't like the writing, you like the characters, you know – you know, put a little more emphasis or focus on the things you're not liking too. If you're just going to give a thumbs down at the end, don't. Well, that's kind a of, typical review where you're like, where somebody's like, uh, that movie sucks, and you're like, why? And then they're like, because it's bad, and you're like, why is <laughs> yeah. it bad? And they're yeah. like, well, because the one scene where it's all intense and stuff, it's bad afterwards yeah. and yeah, you're yeah. like well, so you point out something good and yet you still just, say it's bad i just find that so misleading though you know it's roger Ebert says pretty much mostly good things about scream and then he's like i can't recommend this it's like well you just got influenced by siskel or are you just being retarded i'll do that sometimes like, where i'll be like i like this 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 like did this, you just lose your train that. of thought and forget what <laughs> film you're reviewing like, like i mean come on man just be real just be yeah. real. And I think that's a main that's a that's a big problem with re- reviewers and critics and stuff. And I'm sure we're all the victim of it once in a while. But, you know, I mean, just you got to be you got to be real, man. You know, like if you don't like a film, fucking state it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So uh, I think that kind of wraps it up on uh, this little segment here. I had fun with this critiquing the critics. If, uh, you know, I'm sure we can bring this back at some time or place. If you anybody out there listening would like to suggest reviews either written maybe imdb or siskel and ebert or anybody really for us to discuss drop us a line ancient scrolls written in dark blood could not handle the white lights of death and flash floods as a culture we masturbate celebrate the hate live at large never in charge of destiny in the fate these motherfuckers ain't right stand up and fight God bless you, do the right thing, step away from the light, swing your swords, bow down to the real lords, punch that beat in, drop your verse, and sing that chorus to find education at the peak of pure knowledge. Grammar to high school, enter the stage of sacred college, acknowledge the fact that we are a pure society, the weaker part of the human race cannot practice sobriety, and it frightens me. How do we teach the youth? Step out the phone booth, this is the lesson of the untruth, the tale begins, what is it to know, where do we go? Our mind so lost, confusing these fucking reality shows. Point the finger at these rappers and RB singers. Maybe the problem is with your right and fucking left wingers. Figure that, scream at us, call us out, what about? Beyond a reasonable doubt, fuck that day in and day out. It's the same old shit, politicians ride the dick. You motherfucking right, I'm mad, this is not a fad. This is the pure real mad clothes, you scanly clad. I wish I had to burn you with this fucking writing pad. Put me down, fuck you, you're dissing a whole nation. No time for interrogation, explanation for all the information. Fuck your operation, you got a fucking obligation. I despise your navigation, time for termination. Some very powerful stuff coming from our homie Mood 616. The track was Time to Bounce. We're going to move on to Harley Poe's Suckers. And then we will be right back with a review of The Hangman from Moods himself.
I stepped out of the bar and into the street, and then she was standing there. A sexy mama looking so petite with red lips and jet black hair. I said, I'm lonely tonight, so you're coming with me. Oh, honey, lucky you. She said, you're kind of short, but you'll have to do. Cause tonight I'm looking to screw. I found a sucker, a girl likes to play. I'll pretend that I love her until I go away. Stick around and fade until the next best day. I found a sucker with whom I have my way. I took off all my clothes She wasn't messing around We were going to town As I pulled out my pantyhose She opened her mouth She was going south Blood rushed to my head Sexistly She was aiming to please And I bet she'd be good at bed That girl's a sucker But she likes to meet Real no good hover Just can't be beat She sure knows how to blow She takes it nice and slow That girl's a sucker Ain't that a treat And it sounds like this Na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na
basically what he does is he breaks into people's houses and he doesn't leave. So this is where the story comes in and it follows your married couple of Jerry, Jeremy Sisto and Kate Ashfield. And, uh, they've just returned home from a, uh, a vacation with their fam, with their two kids to find their house has been ransacked. And, uh, which they do not know is that the assailant that ransacked their house and made it look like a burglary, burglary, <laughs> um, they, uh, he has not left. He has not left. So what he has done is he's basically set up shop in there. He's brought all of his equipment and put it up into their attic. He's set up, uh, you know, he's set up, um, you know, cameras and devices all throughout the entire house. So he can caption, capture every single move of theirs and, uh, follow every, you know, step of theirs in their everyday lives. So he can, uh, you know, start to fuck with them and stuff. So so that's basically the premise of the film right there. Um, this is a really interesting premise because it puts a whole new spin on the found footage genre. You know, generally it's people that are breaking into a house and fucking with a family and stuff where this one right here, the guy is already in the house. That is scary as shit. Um, I really do like this idea. I think it's scary as all hell. I mean, really, I mean, you really kind of got to separate yourself a little bit. It says this movie is based on, you know, true events and stuff. And I think truly this could happen if you have a really big house. Um, but of course there is going to be elements where you have to do separate, have to separate yourself a little bit, you know, just the thought of someone being able to be that quiet inside your attic, you know, for long periods of time and, you know, not really make any noises and, you know, get you overly too suspicious and stuff, which, which leads me into my thoughts on this film. Now, it's a really interesting uh, premise, like I said, and I think this movie can only work if the uh, the execution is really well done, and I think it's done pretty well. I don't think this movie's perfect, but I think it's done pretty well. Um, you know, I really do like how, you know, that uh, just kind of the progression of this psychopath, you know, at first it kind of shows him, you know, kind of fucking with the family a little bit by, you know, going down in the nighttime because he knows everything that's going on, right? He's watching them. He knows when people are sleeping, what what's going on. So he goes down to the kitchen. He starts making sandwiches, drinking their juice, spitting in their juice, you know, peeing in their juice. He starts doing like kind of nasty, like psychotic things like that, leaving it out on the counter. And he starts getting people like a little pissed off at each other. And he starts fucking with the kids and doing all pile of things. And, you know, of course the paranoia from the wife, um, it's, it's always there ever since they've been broken in. It's like, you know, she always has this little feeling in the back of her mind that, you know, something just isn't right. So one point in the film, she actually says to her husband played by Jeremy Sisto, you know, let's get a, Let's get a gun and stuff. And I, I kind of like that because she has this really weird kind of feeling that something isn't right. And that's when the film starts to get a little more progressive with what he's doing to the family and stuff. And there's some really good cinematography in this film also. Uh, there's a really cool scene where the couple has another couple over and they're having some drinks and stuff. And there's a long shot throughout the house. It's kind of on a diagonal angle so you can see the stairwell where he comes down. And you can see them. They're all partying and stuff and doing things. And he kind of slowly comes down the stairs and then goes through this lady's purse and and just take something and goes back up nonchalantly so there's some so it's really frightening like he's just he's nonchalant about it and really charismatic at, at times and it's really fucking frightening to think that he's just not in a rush you know he's just like okay this is how it's gonna go and uh you know if something goes wrong they'll deal with it kind of thing so 
But yeah, I, I just, there's so many elements of this film that are so frightening. And, uh, it's, it's one of those watches that I think, um, at times there is certain scenes that are dragging a little bit, which is kind of a shame because, you know, the film's not overly that long. It runs about 80, 85 minutes or something like that. But, you know, those, it's, it's kind of a minor nitpick in the film to be quite frank but uh yeah there is certain scenes i think that that are you know just kind of they're dragged out a little bit and things like that but you know i do really like the progression of this you know it starts off slow and then it gets into some pretty crazy shit and really sadistic almost psychological stuff not like psychological but he starts to screw with people's heads a little bit it's not just placement of items in the house and things like that and you know while i was watching this film the only thing i could think of was how is this thing going to end and in my opinion, it had a fantastic ending, a really, really solid ending, which kind of made the whole film worth the watch. You know, I was like, okay, the, that's exactly what I wanted to see. And this is what happened in the film. And I was really kind of taken back by it. It's, um, it's a very, uh, it's a very gritty, scary idea for a film. And, you know, at times I think there is some really bleak moments in it, which I think are fantastic. And, uh, other things that are happening, you know, he starts to fuck with the kids a little bit too, which some people might get a little pissed off about, but it is what it is. They're a whole family. He's there. He's a psychopath and he's going to do it to everybody. And I really enjoyed this. I, I thought this movie was really good at first. You know, when I first finished the film, I was like, ah, I don't know. And then I started really thinking about it. And it, it is one that, had myself thinking about it for days. So I was like, Hey, you know, my rating has to go up a little bit. And, um, with that said, man, I don't really want to give too much more about away from the film because, you know, you got to see it for yourself. I think it's, uh, I think it's frightening. It's a really cool twist on the found footage genre, which, you know, of course has just been, you know, beaten to the ground over the last couple years and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm going to give this one a seven out of 10. I think it's really definitely worth your, worth your time to check out. I mean, it might not be for everybody. Um, but it's, it's an overall really interesting watch. I think that, you know, it plays out pretty natural at times. Uh, I think a lot of the conversations with the family are pretty natural too, which actually kind of helps out in the film because I think if this film was really poorly acted, um, it would, wouldn't sell it as much it, the, for something like this to work at like a top shelf level i think the acting has to be natural you know because this is a found footage this is supposed to be real life this is supposed to be real events and i think they executed that quite well so you know what that said man i think it's pretty decent so give this one a shot hangman yeah i really enjoyed it and uh, i'm glad i did because i just the idea is frightening as shit because as everyone knows out there i find um not found footage but i found find like home invasion films to be the scariest and this idea right here of the person already being in your house when you get home damn that's fucked up that's really really fucked up <laughs> so anyways guys i will check you next time on mini shots i'm moods yeah check you later peace out homies i hope everybody enjoyed moods's review of hangman from 2015 getting its media release in 2016 we're gonna take a quick break on the other side i will be with kyle reviewing the cabin fever remake from 2016 but right now here is lucid dementia's creep
Alright guys, joining me for the Cabin Fever 2016 review, I have Kyle here. We're going to be tackling the brand new Cabin Fever that is a remake. I wouldn't necessarily call it a shot-for-shot shot remake, but I definitely would call it a scene-for-scene scene remake. I only know of one shot-for-shot shot remake, and that is Psycho. This is a scene-for-scene scene remake, pretty much telling the same story scene-by-scene scene with slight variations and differences. Uh, like I said, I have Kyle horrorphile here joining me we're not going to spend too much time on this film but it follows a group of friends there's five of them they go out to a cabin where they are infected with a flesh-eating virus and they are trapped sort of stuck isolated here and trying to look for a way out and trying to survive from this flesh-eating virus of some sort that we really don't know too much about so any, I will say right off the bat that there might be minor spoilers in this review simply because uh, we will probably be doing a lot of comparing to the original film. Kyle, you've seen the original film, right? Uh, yeah, I've seen all the Cabin, uh, Cabin Fever movies. It's crazy that there are four Cabin Fever movies. Just mm -hmm. insane. <laughs> yep. so, and uh, most of the other ones other than the first one aren't that good. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I find just insane is the fact that this is remade to begin with. It only came out you know, 14 years ago. Uh, so it, you know, 14, I think 14 years ago. So it's, it's really insane that they decided to remake, remake it based on that. But not only based on that, there literally was a sequel like two years ago, Cabin Fever 3. And the very idea that they remade this film like right after doing a sequel kind of blows my mind. It also blew my mind that when it was announced, they said that they were going to be using Eli Roth's original script and they were going to kind of uh you know make some slight alterations uh eli roth came out and said that he thought what the director travis uh z i can't say his last name so travis z uh did with it was kind of genius and so going in, into this film kyle i i gotta say i think that people are being like extra hard on it i think that people are saying like it's absolute shit i don't think it necessarily is I do think no. it's pointless, like most people mm -hmm. are saying. But what, did you think it was shit? I didn't think the movie was shit whatsoever. Um, I, I really don't – it's hard to say if a movie's just like shit. Um, I thought the movie was here's, – here's like the main thought in this movie for me. Uh, main main thing for this movie with me, I, I did not think the movie was that bad. It wasn't that bad. I mean it was it was kind of – you know, it's not one of those movies I'm going to go out and just rewatch again because I probably never will watch this movie again. But um, it was one of those movies that it really wasn't that bad when I watched it. I was like, okay, you know, I, this is. I kind of went into it not thinking, not having a lot of high high hopes on the movie. My thing was the original Cabin Fever was kind of a lower budget movie at the time. It was a lower budget horror movie. It had kind of like a like a I don't know what you would call like a charm to it or kind of like a uh, you, you kind of like that lower budget feel to it. This movie had, you could tell, had a higher budget, a lot higher of a budget. So that doesn't necessarily make it so that the movie's going to be better. Um, because this movie literally, I mean, you say it wasn't really shot for shot. It almost was shot for shot. I mean, it was very, very damn close. It was more like scene for scene, like you said earlier. Um, and, you know, it just was, 
it was definitely pointless <laughs> and you know it wasn't a shitty movie by any means i mean i can see giving this movie maybe to somebody that doesn't watch a lot of movies you know watch a lot of horror movies and them liking it but for somebody that was come you know like me coming from cabin fever the original which i did love that movie i've always loved cabin fever ever since when you know it since it came out mm-hmm. and you watch this remake of a movie that's so great and it has like no name actors and the acting's horrible which actually the acting was a horrible horrible but it wasn't that great um, and it's just supposed to be a higher budget film. The only good thing I really enjoyed about this movie uh, was the effects. The effects were a lot, in my opinion, the effects were a lot better than obviously than the first, just because it had a higher budget and it looked better. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was a better movie. Still, so. see, uh, there's a few things that I, I do want to touch on that you mentioned. One, I'm not sure how much of a higher budget it had because this was sort of, uh, you know, this wasn't produced by a, a big giant studio. Um, the original film was not produced by a big giant studio either. Um, this one was produced by IFC Midnight, okay? So that that's not the biggest studio in the world. Uh, and the original film was kind of uh, financed uh, very independent as well. I mean, it, it played at, uh, I think, like Sundance or um, one of those festivals and did really well. It was, you know, came out of there, Lionsgate picked it up. The same thing was Saw. And it did, it really exploded. I think that the one thing that i noticed right away while watching this film is there it's just so jarring the moment you're introduced to the characters because they're yeah. so different and they're way worse actors than the cast of the original cabin fever i'm a huge fan of the original cabin fever it's one of the movies that i say this all the time it got me back into horror there was a time in like the mid 2000s where i was like not into horror and cabin fever because and it was more specifically a girl that i liked was obsessed with it uh you know she kind of reintroduced me to horror and i was like oh yeah like i love horror what the hell like how why are you telling me about horror i like grew up on horror and you know cabin fever was great i i've watched it so many times i've listened to all the commentaries on the disc i've seen it beyond i can like quote the movie so to see these new characters that look vastly different uh they have very much the same lines and the acting is just so much less, in my opinion. Maybe it's because I'm used to those characters, but I would honestly say that some of the acting in this film is borderline atrocious. It is, yeah. Like the gas station agree. attendants and stuff. The one that you know, this guy whose son is Dennis. Like his acting is like just so embarrassing. It's bad. Yeah. It is terrible. <laughs> It was like the girl in the in the uh, in um, the Green Inferno at the beginning of the movie. Uh, have you seen the Green Inferno yet? Yes. Okay, the girl at the beginning of the movie, not uh, Eli Roth's wife, but the her friend at the beginning of the movie. I thought her acting was completely atrocious. Here's the thing that I've noticed with a lot of Eli Roth movies, uh, and I'm going to consider this an Eli Roth movie, even though it was directed by somebody else. He had a lot to do with this this remake, which kind of blows my mind, and it's kind of borderline sociopathic or whatever you want to call it that he would try to help remake. He would be have a huge part in remaking his own movie. That just seems a little. I don't know. It just seems a little off to me. I like Eli Roth a lot, but I just kind of like, I'm like, what? Really? Because he produced this movie, it says. He did the screenplay. He wrote well, the story. He, you know, he gets a credit for the screenplay because it's his screenplay. They took the original screenplay, and yeah, so he has to original. get a credit for it. But he was one of the main producers of this movie, and it's just kind of crazy that he actually agreed to this. I mean, if I was a director and I saw a rough cut of this movie, and I did this movie 15 years ago or however so long, he did this in 2003 or 2001. I, I don't remember when the original came out. 
Two. Two. Okay. Uh, and I saw this. I would be like, no, we're not releasing this. But I mean, it's not a bad movie. But I mean, for a director to go out of his way to help remake it, just kind of odd. But I mean, I don't know. It's it's just one of those things where now when I watched it, I I got through it and I was I was you know posted on the Facebook group. I was like, you know, this movie wasn't that bad. It really is not that bad. It's just. When you compare, when you watch the original movie and then you watch this, and the main thing, that one of the main characters that I did not like the big progression to was, you know, in the big, the big fat kind of goofy guy in the original movie. Uh, I can't remember his name in the original movie. He's one of the main characters. Right. They replaced him with a really skinny guy that okay. has a assault rifle. Well, that was just retarded. No, 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 no. <laughs> See, I sort of like some of those minor changes. Um, yes, he was not as li- like he was as likable as Bert. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they kind of spun it a little bit, and they they kind of updated it because now he's like a video gamer, and he's all into like uh, like he's using he's like why don't you just quick scope him, man? Like I mean he's he's using like terminology that I kind of get and I kind of chuckle at. So I actually thought that that was the one character that I actually liked out of the group. All the other ones I thought were worse than their original counterparts from the original ca- Cabin Fever. Now he was not better than Bert. Uh, the original Bert, but I do, I did kind of like that portrayal. I think it was the only one that was really changed out of all of them. All the other, the the other four were still the same people. Um, I love Ryder strong, you know, boy meets world. One of my favorite TV shows growing up, he played the original, um, Jeff or uh, not, not Jeff Paul. And, I didn't like this guy. I thought the blonde chick was okay. Uh, she wasn't that bad. The the brown haired chick with the nipple rings. I thought she was yep. hot as hell. Um, but you know <laughs> that's beside the point. There are some alterations. Like th- he has an assault rifle. I thought that in the original Cabin Fever, when Bert accidentally shoots the guy, I thought it played out better in this one. It actually made more sense how he shot him in this one. And um, whenever. The guy's coming near him and he's like, don't, don't fucking come near me. He's giving all these warning shots like doom, doom, doom. Like that made sense to me. It's like, oh, that's more realistic than just shooting the guy again. Um, yeah. Also, whenever they're attacking the car and uh, Bert just shoots the car randomly in the original. I never thought that made sense. In this one, he's trying to shoot the ground to scare the guy and he shoots the tire or something. It made, it, it made more sense. I think there's a few alterations that they did where they cleaned it up a little bit where there are a few scenes that actually play out better than the original. However, there are many, many, many more scenes that do not, that do not play out better, that, that, that are not even close to being on par with the original. And that becomes problematic because if most the majority of your scenes are worse then it's definitely a worse movie and it is it's not it's it's not a, a great remake it's it's not however it's not as bad as people are saying if you've never seen the original you'd look at this film and you'd be like oh yeah it's it's all right it's not it's not like a terrible movie or anything like some of the gore was good i don't think that it was better than the original gore the scenes that they redo the the fingering scene uh they call that the uh finger bang misfire in the original that's what the scene is called which is a great uh you know title for that scene um the shaving leg leg scene i thought that the shaving leg scene was was decent in this one the finger bang one was i was expecting something a little bit more awful and they weren't as good but they 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 you know were good enough to where i wasn't like hating them and then you kind of go into the final act of the film which is probably the most changed from the original they they change out a little bit of stuff in the final act i was sort of sitting at a you know decent rating at first 
And then I find it kind of didn't like some things that happened in the final act, and I, it actually lowered my rating. One thing in particular, there's a demise of a certain character that we know, uh, and the way that it plays out in this one is much more brutal, but it does not make sense. It actually complete that we see a character who is very against what he is about to do, and then all of a sudden he goes even way more to the extreme and it counter it it, it 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 goes against what he originally was doing two seconds before so and it goes to the extreme it's a complete paradigm shift it doesn't make sense but the brutal nature of it is very good had they made it make a little more sense they smoothed it out a little bit they sort of paved down the the road that they set up it would have played out great and it would have been it's really one of the only scenes that they truly do differently and if had they nailed it in the way that i said where they kind of smoothed out the edges a little bit it would have actually elevated this film quite higher uh it, you know uh, it has to do with a shovel if you can't pick up what i'm putting down Kyle. um yeah i know what you're saying and you know there's they changed around some things characters the the cop winston's different now um the character that was played by eli roth grim he's he's much different very weird i kind of almost was found it a little interesting how they decided to play this character slightly different um but it wasn't as good once again same thing with the cop chick um you know time and time again they, they kind of do the one thing that I, they kind of explained the pancakes thing a little bit more made a little bit more sense that the pancakes you know with the dog at the beginning the dog's name is pancakes so i thought that that was kind of a nice callback and it was a nod and it actually made the story make a little bit more sense because i never understood that pancakes thing um there's scenes that you could go in and pick apart and you could kind of really uh do different things and honestly like most of it is not good uh like better definitely not better there are some things that i do think are better though so i mean at the end of the day i was just even happy to see some things were better uh than the original uh you know it, it's it's just a weird movie to see like people were comparing it to the martyrs remake like which one's worse martyrs remakes way worse this, this oh yeah it this, really this is. one's <laughs> at least like a fun movie fun entertaining um, that was something I was going to mention is like the Martyrs remake really is nowhere near as entertaining as this movie was. Even with the bad acting in this movie, the Martyrs acting and the acting in the Martyrs movie, the Martyrs remake movie was was better than probably this movie. But entertainment value, this movie for some reason had me way more entertained than the Martyrs remake. So. Yeah, me too, for sure. That when they set the guy on fire, it makes a little more sense how he it's like they tightened up certain aspects of Eli Roth's original script. Some of the problems that there might have been, the very few problems they tightened all those up but then when it comes to like the scene by scene stuff it's just not as good so then you have what you have is like tightened scenes where if you could take these two movies and mush them together it would be one really really good movie instead of just a great movie you know like like if you could take like and fix all the problems in eli roth's that's kind of what they did in certain scenes but the problem is is you're fixing things in a worse movie <laughs> So oh, yeah, exactly. it's kind of just this bizarre, weird, like concept of a remake. But overall, I honestly did kind of enjoy it. I'm not going to lie. I laughed out loud at certain parts. It, it was a little bit more entertaining than I ever expected. Um, the layout of the cabin and like the area was, was obviously different. And I kind of liked that a little bit. So, but some of those secondary B characters, just so atrocious. Like they, around the campfire, 
they, they I've seen the original so much that like I I can s- literally hear the lines that they slightly changed and sometimes they're better and sometimes they're worse and at the end of the day I think that's what I keep coming back to they did improve some minor things and and that's it like they did a yeah. little bit and then everything else was not as good uh so you know you have anything else on this one Dude, I, I don't really have much else. I mean, this is one of those things that you could probably pretty much go on like we did with the Martyrs remake on the last 22 Shots episode that I was on. You could just go on with this all day and nitpick it. At the end of the day, to be completely honest about this movie, I did not really care for it. I'll never watch it again. It wasn't a bad movie. I don't I don't consider this a bad remake. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't consider it a bad remake. It I, is it a bad un- remake, but it's it not is a bad, bad remake. movie. It was an un- unnecessary remake. It's not a bad film, period. Like, if I had never seen the original Cabin Fever, I'm not a horror fan. I don't watch a lot of cinema, and I watch this movie. I'd be like, eh, okay. It was entertaining. It wasn't that bad of a movie. But me being, and us being the horror fans we are, us being the Cabin Fever fans we are, Eli Roth fans, it was very, very unnecessary. Should have never been made. But at the end of the day... Eh, you know, whatever. It is what it is. They're going to continue to make do these remakes, continue to you know put them out there, just like they did with the Martyrs remake, which was very surprising. They even remade Martyrs, but I think I remember hearing on the last podcast you, uh, you guys did, they're about to remake uh, Inside, yep. which I'm not really looking forward to that. But um, yeah, I mean that's all I really got to say about about. What would you Fever. rate this one? <sighs> Golly, um, I would probably give this a. I'd probably give it a five out of ten. I mean, it wasn't. Average. It was. It's. It's. It's average, man. Like I, I'm. I'm taking this. This rating as if I have never seen the original Cabin Fever. Let's just go ahead and just pretend like I've never seen it. Just taking it as a film in general. It's an average film. It's nothing special about it. There's nothing. There's. There's a lot of horrible things about it as a film, but there's nothing extremely special about it. And it's not a bad film. Period. Like you can watch this movie. If I gave this movie to my mom, who is 60 years old, and said, "Watch this movie," she would probably hate me for giving it to her. But she would probably not consider it a bad movie. She'd be like, "Oh, this is a general horror film." You know, it's like going to see. Uh, you know, going to the movie theater and seeing The Forest or something new like that. It's kind of like that. Um, so five out of 10 for you, uh, me, I'm rating it similarly, uh, pretty much the same. I'm rating it as if the original does not matter, does not factor into my rating. I'm looking at this movie, just this movie by itself with no bias. I say that if you are a horror fan and you've seen this movie and you never seen the original cabin fever, you would probably look at this movie and be like, not bad, not super good. Nothing mind blowing here, but not bad. You rent it at a red box. There's hundreds of worse movies you can rent at a red box throughout all of 2016. You're going to get this one. You're going to take it home. You're going to pop it in. You've never seen the original Cabin Fever. And you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, oh, you know, like I, that was all right. And you might mention, mention it to, you know, some of the gore scenes or something at, at work to a coworker the next day. It's it's not a bad horror movie. It's It's decent. Nothing mind blowing. If you if you've seen the original one, you're gonna find it problematic. If you can't remove yourself from that original film, it's pointless film for you to watch. Don't even watch it. I personally thought it was not bad at all. I give it a six out of ten. There we go. All right. Sweet. So thanks for joining me on this very quick review, Kyle. Uh, this should be on the next mini shots. And uh, you know, with that said, uh, later. For my people in the front. front. In the noise blade section. Section. section This is for the headsets, loving the mix, loving the mix. My people in the front, oh, covered in spare
Got us in the box, south of the pitch Hilltop, put dough, up in this bitch And we got punk leaders, punks you can't beat us We bump and pump meters, we drunk you chumps need us So jump with us, down the front If it's your flavor, your flavor can't get drunk with us This life turned out nothing like I had planned By now I should have had some land Some money in my hand Round about 50 grand But I got nothing I run rhymes on the bus I keep suffering Fuck the lines of the dust You keep sniffing That shit is for the punk Close the shit is for my bros My people win the front row You know I'm I wanna hear that bass when I make love Wanna hear some lyrics when I wake up Write rhymes to get me through a breakup Bitch! Rough up whiskey straight, no chaser Went through 50 breaks, no favor Till I found this one, and made the Bass hook with the drum, my savior Come back, tongue that sharp like a thumbtack So tight, James is saying, get my foot back One track, a track, ain't that residual Noise man, fuck that, we clean with the digital toys you're failing to match me Throw your hands in the air Like you're hailing a taxi I move to the front floor You're stepping out, you drunk, bro This is for my peeps And the freaks in the front row You know, the If suffers in here And you win the front row Or covenant beer And club bonus don't say The place is wrecked as your fault uh-uh. If the roof is on fire It's an electrical fault Man, a vegetable bowl When I bring it live Like Friday night Footy in my hoodie I can hide I get live from the brakes On my face one Lads, if you're heading to the bar Grab your mates one Ladies, come chill Come rock with me, honey I got like half a meal With Monopoly money There's no stopping me, honey So you can take my hand We can lay on the beach And count grains of sand And take a plane to Japan And drink Saki with the mafia, fight a Libya for some Bacardi with Gaddafi. Dinner day followed by a funk show. Uh, we'll rip off our tops and jump around in the front you know, row. Around, And that is the Hilltop Hoods nosebleed section. Before we get into the final segment, which is the bloopers that I promised you guys, I do want to play something pretty cool for you guys. So this will be the intro to our new podcast, which is Disturbing Cinema featuring me, Moods, and Kyle. It is a podcast focusing on disturbing films. And this intro is just going to give you guys a little taste, a little preview to what Uh, we're gonna actually be doing it is just that it's an intro it's nothing special but i wanted you guys to hear it and hopefully it kind of gets you guys pumped to hear our new show which is actually good the first episode we recorded turned out really well uh, and that should be dropping anytime so i'm gonna play that in one second here and then as soon as that plays we will go into bloopers and then i'll stop back one more time to kind of uh, end the show so see you guys in a minute You're about to kill a lot of people! Hey, Mike, how's it going? I haven't eaten in almost two days. <laughs> <laughs> 
They stopped just, now. It's just ape shit. Ape fucking shit all day, man. It's been driving me nuts. Yeah, because I think Aaron just got home. That's why. But, um... Oh, at least this segment's going all right. Besides the dogs. Dude, look at this uh, Look at this book bag my fucking work sent me. Look at this shit. That's cool. I know, right? It's fucking gay. <laughs> You don't like it? No, I like it. I I don't know. I just I fucking hate the, I, I fucking hate these headphones. <clears throat> Bose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was oh, no. the best best, com- best comment ever. <laughs> Aren't those Beats? Yeah, they're Beats. Oh. Yeah. Apple owns Beats now. Did you, I told Matt how to fix his fucking iPhone <laughs> yeah. the other day, and he never said anything. It's not the iPhone. It's his app that he's using. No, I told him exactly how to fix it, dude. What do you do? I mean, what was it? What was wrong with it? You shut it off, throw it in the trash, and buy an Android. Oh, yeah, you're so funny, JP. <laughs> I bet if you did that, you'd have fucking an amazing phone. Fucking, you know what? Dude, Android- I've had three iPhones, and I've never had one issue with any of them. You want to know what's funny about Android? They make <laughs> shitty Android phones for people that are broke as fuck to buy whenever they're doing an upgrade. Listen to him in the background. He's about to seize out. God damn. <laughs> oh, fucking coronary over there, man. It's just funny. It's funny. Keep on making the great videos and reviews. Are you sure that was to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so funny. Everybody sent me. That's just fucking... And both of those... One of... Well, shit, hold up. Let me let me get a pen so I can write down the edit, actually. Make that... Write, write down... The, yes, dude, you, I told you. Pen and pad right next to your notes. I so have you can make pen notes. pad. So you can make notes. <laughs> All right, let's see. It's just easier for the edit, man. It's, it's a time management thing. I thought the news was going to be like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, we got on tangents a lot. Talking yeah, about like did. TV shows that don't exist. That might have been even stupid shit. Minutes. Might have been about forty minutes, forty-five makes, minutes. Makes <laughs> me sound like an asshole and annoying. That's all right. <laughs> wow, that sounds like fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny though. It really is because it was, I just I'm, like in my head, I'm processing it and I'm like, man, this sounds good. This sounds good. He's like, boring. <laughs> <laughs> My pretentious assholeness. I'm sorry. <laughs> so fucking funny as hell, man. It's so funny. That's awesome. There's like this black girl <laughs> who who works, and she's always listening to like some like fucking Drake or some shit in her rooms cleaning. And she'll tell me something. I'll be like Coolio with the flow. <laughs> she just looks at me like I'm so fucking retarded. <laughs> uh, you know what? Let's get into some uh, in, into some voicemails, JP. 
Yeah, absolutely. We do have a few voicemails. We was just going to play a couple, but we figured we'd just unload all the voicemails uh, during this episode. So some are Children in the Corn related, some aren't, some are questions, some are comments. So the first one here we have, I'm not exactly sure who this one is from. Oh. Stop fucking up, JP! Shut up, Dick. <laughs> uh, I'll, put, I'll put an edit here. Oh, come on! Fucking Dick. <laughs> You know, it's uh, I'm all depressed now, man. Italian month is over. It is. It is. Did you guys have fun? I had fun. It was so fun. I did. I don't know. It's your fucking idea. Of course, you're gonna have fun. Just sit there, but yeah, we agree. So who cares how long it goes? What are you talking about? Ah, never mind. Uh, You need to calm down, bro. Get some coffee in you and chill out. Um, but yeah, moving on to knowledge, JP, do we got a, anything for knowledge this week? No. No. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, well, I guess we'll cut that out then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fuck, we'll just, yeah, just right when I say JP. Yeah, yeah. Cut that shit out. Okay, I guess we're moving on to Morbid Fact then. Rue Morgue. All right, let's do it. Coolio with the fucking flow. Yeah, man, I... Alrighty, so moving along into the coroner's report of Weird Staps. Fuck. Okay, edit that shit out. Weird okay. Staps? Weird Staps? Got a stab infection? Oh my god, seriously. You, you know what, Moods? Say, before you get into the coroner's report, say, no knowledge this week, guys, but if you guys have anything that you would like to see covered in the knowledge sec- section... Mm, that's good. Like, I'm gonna say something that he did that pissed me off. Was he? You remember? You probably, I don't know if you were on the episode or not, or not episode. But I don't remember if you were listening when he was saying this or not. But were you like? Uh, do you remember when he was talking about going to family video and putting stickers on random things and fucking buying them? Yeah. Okay. No. I, yeah, we he, we've known that for a long time. Okay. Well, that. I did that today. I put a five dollar sticker off another DVD, <laughs> and I this is the first time I've done this. And like I went and like okay, so I <laughs> listen, 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 listen. You're gonna laugh. I wish Moods was on this call to laugh at me, at my ass as well. <laughs> All right, so the town that dreaded sundown, the the remake. It was two, two. No, listen, listen. It was two for five dollars. It was two. No, listen. That wasn't it. That wasn't the one I put the, the sticker on. I got that one, and I got a movie called. Um, uh, I got a movie called Asylum. It was an after dark movie called Asylum. I got those I two. They were, they were two for five dollars. Then I got. And then I took a four ninety nine sticker and I stuck it on uh, the Toxic Avenger Blu ray, and I brought them up to the counter and the guy goes, "Oh, we don't. We're not selling the the Toxic Avenger. Put a sticker on that one." I looked at him. and I said, "Uh, I don't know." And I was like, "I'll just take the other two. and I left. And I was like, "Wow, I almost got fucking probably arrested for the Toxic Avenger." Fucking goddamn asshole. Fuck Jeremy. Do you do that shit too? No. Okay, because I took out three here, and uh, all I'd... three of them were from 2002. <laughs> uh, can one of you guys go first, just because I'm uh, busy right this second? What are you, are you masturbating? Yeah. Dude, it's like, <laughs> like we're two hours into the show, man. You got you to gotta fucking tag one off right now? 
Yes, yes, y'all. It's going down right now. Episode 53 of the 20. Oh, my God. It begins. Wow. That No, that was just a fucking tongue twist right there. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going down right now. Episode 67 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horrors coming at you live. I am your host, Mood 616. You know what? I'm going to start over again. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like me when me and Kyle do the shows. I'll just be like, no, I was just I'll, like, I'll I was restart like a like hundred times. I'll be like, shit. Look <laughs> like my goddamn reviews, man. Fuck. It's so stupid. All right. Yeah, actually, I'm going to do it. Okay, I'll do it like that then. Uh, all right. Oh, yeah, it's going down right now. Episode 67. Nah, fuck that. I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fuck that. I'm not going to. Oh, yeah, it's going down right now. God damn it, man. Fuck. I never fucked up. Whoa. <laughs> Ego. No, this is normal. This act, well, actually, recently it hasn't been, but sometimes it's just because I, I want to put in a couple of the things and I just got to get it right in my mind. Yeah, come on. Just do it like fucking Jeremy already. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, it's going down right now. Episode 30. 30? 34. I started I saving all these fuck-ups. Like, I, I probably have, like, seven or eight of the ones where you're like, oh, yeah, episode... Oh, shit. <laughs> like, 34? I have just going to make a what montage. The fuck am I, what am I thinking with 34? <laughs> Holy shit, dude. We're almost fucking double that. God damn, that was fucking strange. Uh, yeah... All right. Well, let's get into this show. Hmm. What am I going to say? It's been a while. Yes, yes. Yo, yo. What's going on? <laughs> it's been <laughs> actually a fucking while, man. Episode 52 of 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Podcast. All right. <laughs> Oh yeah. No, I don't like that. That's gay. Many shots intro right there. I gotta stop saying that, man. I work with this gay guy and we're so bad for that, man. I'm just like, oh that's fucking so gay. <laughs> but he looks well, all you gotta do is say like I mean that it's like sucking a dick. That's what no, I, mean. no, <laughs> I just said that the other, the other day. I was like, oh, it's fucking gay. And he looks over and he kind of laughs. And I'm like, oh, sorry, man. I accidentally put my cock in my, I mean, my foot in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking just lost it laughing. It was funny. He's, he's cool about it, though. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. It's the brand new. No, I don't like that. Either, <laughs> It's no, the I summer. This is the. This is got, technically not season two or season three. It's the that's summer. That's exactly series. what it is. Okay, actually, season two point five. It's I the summer two. series. The twenty-two shots of moods and horse summer series, volume <laughs> one. <laughs> hmm. Yes, yes, y'all. It's going down right here. It's the mu- Ugh, I don't like. That <laughs> I, so that, I mean, you shouldn't like that one. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's coming at you live right now. No, I don't like that. <laughs> so we're going to do this all fucking thing. Actually, you know what? You know what? I'm going to do it that. It's funny. <laughs> I keep wanting to say season, uh, fucking season two. And I'm like, ah, fuck, it's not season two, man. Fuck, it's hard. I got to get season two out of my fucking head. Uh, 
Yeah, that's hard when you're kind of like in between. Not two, not three. Yeah. Yes, yes, y'all. It's going down right now. Episode one of season three of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. Ah, oh, fuck. You know what? I was going to say you fucked yeah, up. Yeah. going to say you couldn't remember what episode it was. <laughs> episode 55. <laughs> episode 55. So, um, nice yeah, improvised, I, I should change on my fucking thing. Uh, no, I'll go season. Welcome to episode one of season three. Maybe of say welcome to episode 55, the official start of season three. Yeah, that's a good one. Official start. You talking about any of this? Any of that second episode. Well, you want to start over? Yes. Why Fuck. did you record it, dude? I have no idea. The Skype recorder ended and it didn't let me know. When did it end? Like, do you remember when? Let me check. Mother, that has never happened to me before. Come on, JP, you gotta get with it. I know, bro, I'm sorry. We were, like, almost done with the episode. <laughs> so, it ended when we was talking about, um... It ended, like, right when we was done with the last episode. Like, after we was done with it. So it, we, it didn't get any of this episode at all? Any of it. But it got all the last episode. It got right? all the last episode. Well, why did it end? Did you, like, run out of... Journey through the X-Files series and review each episode by each season. Fuck, that sounds stupid. That sounded good. <laughs> ready? Yeah, I'm ready, motherfucker. Go! Hello and welcome to the X-Files podcast. This is a weekly podcast in which we journey through the X-Files series, which was a TV show that ran from... I didn't pull that up, actually, so... So start over, faggot. (laughs) Fuck you! Don't even know your facts, bro. Uh, (laughs) I'm about to... Okay. Alright guys, I hope you enjoyed the intro to the Disturbing Cinema Podcast, which should be out at any moment. Uh, Be on the lookout for that, for sure. And I hope you enjoyed the bloopers slash outtakes. I actually had a ton more, but I I, I misplaced the file. I don't know where it is, and that really was frustrating, but hopefully I find it. If not, then uh, we will just have to make more when we record more podcasts and save them up. Uh, I'm really bad at actually saving them, but I really need to start to because they do come in handy as a, a little bonus for these mini shots episodes. So with that said, guys, make sure you guys follow us on all the awesome places, horphilia.com. That's where you can find this episode of Mini Shots and all future podcast episodes as well as the NFW podcast, ABC's The Hidden Horror Podcast, Exploding Heads Horror Podcast, and many, many other shows, including some of mine, the X-Files podcast and Ash vs. the Evil Dead podcast. And be on a lookout, a close lookout, for the top 10 of 2002, which is episode number 74 of the 22 shots of moods and horror i'm jp i'm out i'm gonna leave you guys with a little bit of rick chimes robertson's food and liquor store hot time summer
in the city after June. 93 degrees on a Wednesday afternoon. Wendy had a few dollars and a sweet tooth. When she had to travel, bicycles would she use. Trenching as she pedaled towards the store around the corner. Hoping for the popsicles, some candy, no one warned her. And they couldn't if they wanted to. The store was sort of like a hangout in their neighborhood. The more the temperature would rise, it seemed the tension would follow. Marlo had to borrow a steel, cause tomorrow... The power at his house will be ghosting. Stealing was the choice that he chose and then opened the door and burst into the store as Wendy made her purchase. Everybody hit the floor, said empty out the register. Anybody moves or tries to be a hero and my trigger moves too. When summertime in the city gets hot, turn the temperature up, guarantee that you've got a recipe for extremes to occur. No, you've seen it for sure, even dream for a cure. Summertime in the city gets hot, turn the temperature up, guarantee that you've got a recipe for extremes to occur. No, you've seen it for sure, even dream for a cure. Hot time, summer in the city after June, 93 degrees on a Wednesday afternoon. Marlowe's sweating, shaking, gripping, tight as pistol, waiting for Mr. Richardson to give to him the cash to his face, gun barrel to the safe in the back. Take me your mask straight to face under that Marlowe's face in the facts, Kate chasing him fast. He needs to leave, he needs more, his bills piled up. Wendy's holding tears back, Marlowe's thinking now what? Popsicles melting, five people on the floor, he screams, give me all your jewelry, your money now, or I'm gonna start shooting. No sudden movements, collected all the valuables they had. And he knew that time was ticking soon, police would be arriving. Luckily for he, all they'd seen had been his eyes. And summertime in the city gets hot, turn the temperature up, guarantee that you've got a recipe for extremes to occur. No, you've seen it for sure, even dream for a cure. Summertime in the city gets hot, turn the temperature up, guarantee that you've got a recipe for extremes to occur. No, you've seen it for sure, even dream for a cure. Summer in the city after June 93 degrees on a Wednesday afternoon Four friends in a jeep on their way to the beach Pulled off of the street and seek a sunscreen Liquor and some beer From the look of it appeared that Mr. Richardson's is the closest thing near All four hopped out of the Wrangler Same door, same store, more strangers Marlo startled, squeezed off a couple shots One into the Powerade cooler The other caught a beach bum in the shoulder A twisted up plot Wendy scared ran towards the door distraught Marlo knew he was screwed if he didn't move quick Mr. Richardson then brandished his weapon and pulled it Two targets with his first four rounds Wendy and Marlo laid slumped on the ground Summertime in the city 